Warning, this podcast contains descriptions of scenes of a distressing nature. Please take care. So basically, yeah, through the years, it was just me and Dad. Dad reared me and myself. My friends were my family. I didn't have any more family. None of my Irish family contacted me as a child, you know, checked in on me. For a man who was like that, he was still so hurt inside. You know, he was so, so hurt inside and... To go on and still rear me by himself was unbelievable in that stage for the abuse he suffered in Heimley at them times to still, to you know, get through that. There was some hard times. I'm not going to say it was all la-di-da, which it wasn't. Like, you know, there was tough times, tough, tough times, but we got through it. And we're here to tell the tale. I've come to Ballinasloe and I'm looking at part of Jasper and Virginia's crisis tale. Opposite me on the other side of a busy road is a 1950s A-shaped three-bedroom bungalow, the kind of bungalow we see in towns all over Ireland. But the two front windows and front door are all boarded up. The front garden is completely overgrown. It appears abandoned, frozen in time. It was in this house back in May 1995 that unimaginable horror unfolded for the Kraus family. I'm Serica Crowley, and I've been investigating the bizarre case of the man killed by his rooster outside Ballinasloe last year, 67-year-old Dutchman Jasper Kraus. Why did Jasper have to rear Virginia all by himself? Where was the other half of their family? You're listening to Death by Rooster, The Extraordinary Life and Death of Jasper Kraus. Episode 3. We need to talk about Kevin. By May 1995, the Kraus family had been almost a year in Ballinasloe. Jasper was working mostly nights in Salt Hill. They settled into the neighbourhood of Brackernagh, started to build that second life Jasper had talked about. But things were not good with Anne. She struggled with postnatal depression in the Netherlands and had been hospitalised there. Things didn't improve back home. There were times when she told Jasper she wanted to end it all. She told her doctor she was having difficulties handling the children who were two and five years of age at this stage. Virginia shared with me the struggles her parents faced with the Irish Mental Health Services back then. The hospital you'll hear her referring to is St Bridget's Mental Health Hospital in Ballinasloe which was the main mental health hospital for Galway at the time. It was opened in 1833 as the Connacht Asylum, until psychiatric care was deinstitutionalised in the 1960s, and it closed in 2013. But it was still a place described in 2003 as a deplorable blot on the health services by the Inspector of Mental Hospitals, Dr Dermot Walsh. Anne was sent home from there just a few days before Sunday the 21st of May 1995 with devastating consequences for the whole Kraus family. My mother was even more mentally unstable at the time. She didn't have much support from the mental health services here at the time. They kept changing her medications. My father was trying his best to tell them, look at, put her back what she was on. It was for her. It worked. Um, the reply he got from the doctor, which I read from the inquest from that, was basically that, um, oh, I'm the doctor, you're the husband, I decide what happens. My mother begged to be kept in hospital. She didn't trust herself, you know, to be out, basically. And they let her home. 
you know, and unfortunately on one Sunday my father was asleep. Her mental health reached a high pitch and she actually picked up a knife and stabbed my brother. And I witnessed this, basically. And um, it was unbelievable. You know, it was surreal what happened. You know, she went in, she got dad out of bed. He got injured in the process as well. He picked up my brother, brought him to the hospital. Unfortunately, it was too late. Jasper's statement to Kevin's inquest in court two years later in 1997 describes how Anne woke him up with a knife in her hand. I stabbed Kevin, she said. He jumped out of bed and saw blood on the knife. He rushed into the kitchen where he found little Kevin blood-soaked, half on a chair, half on the ground. He picked him up, put him in the car and drove him straight to Portiuncula Hospital. My son was alive and talked all the way to the hospital. He kept saying, Papa, Papa, Jasper told the Connacht Tribune newspaper a few days after the incident. He handed him over to two nurses and the child lost consciousness. Sometime later, he was pronounced dead and was baptised by the hospital chaplain, Father Costello. In a bizarre twist, one of the young medics who fought in vain to save Kevin's life that day was Dr Annette Jennings, the same doctor who would, 27 years later, pronounce Jasper dead after he was killed by the rooster. I spoke to Dr Jennings and she confirmed this and agreed it was indeed a strange coincidence. One of the first calls a distraught Jasper made from the hospital was to the local Garda station in Ballinasloe. Garda Theo Hanley took the call and was first on the scene at the former Krause family home. I tracked him down and he agreed to speak with me. We meet at a petrol station on the outskirts of Ballinasloe town, close to the scene of the tragedy. Theo, how are you? <laughs> Good, thanks now. You're spot on, dead on time. Now retired, Theo had 24 years of Garda experience under his belt when he took the call that day back in 1995. He had by then served on the border region during the worst years of the Troubles. He dealt with sectarian murder victims and bomb blasts, but he had never come across a case so tragic in all his years, he tells me. He's still very uncomfortable speaking about it to this day and even got emotional. Theo was the Garda who brought Virginia and Anne to the hospital for medical treatment at first, before bringing Anne back to St. Bridget's Mental Health Hospital. It affected him deeply. That morning, an emergency call to go up. And um, I went up anyhow, so I did. And um, the child in was gone to hospital. They must have come from the hospital to call, I'd say. Yes. And I went up and your one was there and your man was there. And your one was in an awful state altogether. So she was the poor woman you'd feel sorry for her. And um, as soon as another guy came up, we got a fill in anyhow, and he came up to us on Sunday morning. And um, he was there, and I brought you one down to the hospital. And Dr. Jennings was below in the hospital at the time, and she's seen her. Okay. And I left her there, and that was my involvement in it. But it was just terrible, you know. And um, the poor child, he was only two years old or something. So... And um, it, was, it was just shocking. And um, I tell you, it shook a lot of the fellas below on the station, so it did, you know. Ah, it'll bring tears to a stone now. And um, I felt so sorry for her. In the meantime, five-year-old Virginia was briefly left alone at home with her mother and witnessed more trauma, which would stay with her for the rest of her life. I've seen my mother do some stuff to herself as well in the meantime. But um, I remember then Gary's coming, bringing us to the hospital 
and seeing dad in tears coming down the stairs, I knew something went wrong. And uh, I knew my brother was gone that time. He was only two at the time. I was five. And that was a hard time. The funeral, everything. I had family from the Netherlands fly over. Um, it was the biggest news going around in the time because people were like, they were unbelievable that a child died in that time. And foreigners weren't common in Banislow back then. So it was big news, you know. One of the first journalists to break the story was Galway Bay FM reporter Ken Kelly. When I asked him if he remembered that day in May 1995 and the house at Brackerna, I wasn't expecting to hear what he told me next. I remember it was a, a Sunday afternoon and I, about 3.30 or something like that, and I happened to be passing. And I saw two squat cars outside. And of course, being a journalist, my suspicions were raised straight away. And um, later on, I contacted the local Gardaí and they told me there had been a tragic accident in that house. Which subsequently I learned about, and it was uh, a tragedy, family tragedy that really upset the whole community around about Banlaslow because a lot of people had known who lived there at the time, and the man involved uh, and his wife and their children had been housed there by, as far as I hope the correction this, by the Western Health Board. And uh, I had actually lived in that house for 25 years. And uh, when our parents died, we sold it. And uh, somebody bought it. And uh, they leased it out to the health board. And that's as far as I knew about the details of it. And is that the house where you grew up, Ken? Well, I moved in there actually at 11 years of age because I had been uh, railed out the country just about two miles out. And uh, we came in there in uh, about 1950-51. My father built a house. It was one of those, um, oh, it was the modern one at the time. It was the A-shaped bungalow, three-bedroom. And uh, similar ones were really built all over Ballinasloe at the time. So it must have felt very personal to you, Ken, to see something horrific happen in your former family home. Yes, it came as a huge shock to me, this tragedy, because I knew exactly the spot of where it happened. Actually, two of our brother and sister of mine were born in that house. Myself and a, a younger brother had been uh, born out the country and was uh, we came in then after that. There was two more arrivals in the family and they were both born in that house in Brockerna, which is just, I could say, less than a mile from the town centre and quite, uh, it was quite... Um, friendly atmosphere in the place amongst neighbours. So, I mean, the shock of this tragedy reverberated completely. And it was, you know, one of those things that we did not expect. And certainly from the, our point of view, the Kellys, it came as a, a massive shock to say that it happened in our house. But such is life and it could have happened in our day just as easy. But 
anywhere to the known parts of that tragedy. And it garnished a lot of support for the father and mother involved and the whole community when they, their sympathy went out to them, you know, it was such a horrific thing. And uh, they, they, they enjoyed widespread, widespread popularity afterwards, you know. At Kevin's inquest, the then state pathologist, Dr. John Harbison, testified that the toddler had died from bleeding into his chest as a result of a stab wound to his left lung. The then coroner for East Galway, Dr. Richard Joyce, sympathised with the Krauss family on what he called this tragic accident. A Gartha file was prepared on the incident and sent to the then director for public prosecutions, Eamon Barnes, who directed that there be no prosecution. Anne Kreis was taken to St. Bridget's Hospital by guard that Theo Hanley, where she was detained. In the blink of an eye, Jasper's family was reduced by half. It would be just himself and Virginia from then on in, and he devoted the rest of his life to her and his beloved animals. Virginia was mute for months afterwards. She suffered PTSD and flashbacks. She's only seen her mother twice since then, once as a child and more recently when her mother made a surprise appearance at her wedding in 2018. Anne is still alive and living in the west of Ireland, but the mother-daughter bond remains broken. At the end of the day, I had an internal fear of her as well. I always had as a child growing up, I had a fear. What if I was next? You know, because everyone She's got hurt. monster in your head. Yeah, yeah. Child, I was that. a child. Like everyone in my home got injured except me that day. She got injured, my father got injured, and Kevin got severely injured. And that I didn't get anything that day was unbelievable, you know. And not to mention that, the PTSD I had after that, dyslexia, I was mute for a few months afterwards, you know. Like the stress and that and the trauma. And even growing up in class, when you're in class and then it's like, oh, Mother's Day, I hated that day. It was very hard. And I had two Father's Day in, you know, I did two Father's Day cards. And um, there's little things like that, like, you know, you don't think they affect you, but they do. Virginia received counselling all throughout her childhood, something she's grateful for. But the same supports weren't there for Jasper. An abiding memory of hers in the aftermath of Kevin's death is seeing her father down on his hands and knees, cleaning his son's blood off the floor. After that then, a couple of weeks after, um, we go went back to the house. We sat in a friend's house and I remember seeing my father scrubbing the ground, scrubbing my brother's blood off the ground. And that there was nobody there to do that then was detrimental to his mental health. Now, back in them days, in 94, 95, mental health for men didn't exist. Like, you know, and so you're just kind of left, oh, you're a man, you're strong, you'll do it. Then basically I had all the help in the world. Every week I had counselling, everything. I had talk therapy all through my primary school years. As Sarah knows, I left the class so many times, you know, and it was tough. Dad didn't have help and he didn't have trust in many people over what happened. He cried for help from my mother and it was not there. So I understand at times he was kind of very stern with people growing up because he was let down so many times he lost trust. Then... We had a thing growing up that we got into a big, very, very big into fishing. He was doing hobbies to kind of clear his head over what happened. I remember going for weekends, going fishing on the lake, going Fridays to Mondays. It was unbelievable. You know, it was um, peaceful. It was a peaceful time in the childhood. 
F1 racing was a very big thing for us as well. Do you know, anything kind of to take our minds off what was going on for him as well. Then we kind of, all through the years, like we've done some random things like, you know, with circuses and stuff. And it was a very colourful childhood. Like we had a lot of friends in the circus and, you know, that helped us out a lot. And we lived in town here in Banisloe. We got another house and finally six months after my brother passed away, we got a house. A lovely woman, Lily Broderick, actually. Um, your gran and Nana's sister, yeah, she um, got us a house in Hymney. If Virginia wants anything good to come of the tragedy in her and Jasper's life, it's to warn people of the dangers poultry can pose to vulnerable people, such as those on blood thinners or the elderly who don't protect their lower limbs from hen or rooster spurs. But it's also to advocate for change in state supports for bereaved families in the immediate aftermath of either tragic accidents or suicides. 28 years ago, she watched her father mop up his son's blood. She never thought she'd have to do the same for him. And she certainly doesn't want her daughters ever to have to face the trauma of cleaning a messy death scene like she did. On the morning of Jasper's inquest in February this year, Virginia made herself a promise. But since then, it's been up and down. Like I've had psychotherapy weekly. I have photographic memory. And for somebody who had PTSD before this happened, I had the biggest trigger known to man. Last week I had the inquest, last Thursday. On the morning before I left, I looked at my two girls and I said to myself, if there's one thing I want to come out of this, is that they never have to go through the same thing what I've had to go through to clean up a parent's blood or something like that. That's that's That can be changed. At the inquest I raised this, I said it. I said about how how come 20 years ago I see my father clean up my brother's blood. 20 years later, nothing was done. Nothing has changed. It's still the same. And basically that it's allowed to happen is unbelievable. A person can't grieve. They're completely broken from it. If it was malicious, if it was a crime, the guards would have arranged a company to come in free of charge to take care of the scene. And because it was accidental or misadventure, it's not covered. I have recently learned that also suicides are not covered for to be cleaned up afterwards. It's an issue she and her friend Sarah Madden both feel very strongly about. I don't know, there should be some kind of grant or something for well, people that don't have a thousand euro on them. Do you know where you, the guards or someone just rings this company saying, right, we have an accident here. Yeah. And then fill out the paperwork in a few weeks' time. But that's what no. they do for a crime or a murder. That's what they do. They ring the company for you. The company comes and they take care of the situation. They take care of the scene. Why can't the same be done for suicide, uh, accidental death? Just there is people there for it and it's covered for a crime or murder. It should be for the rest. Because family, you're putting another person's mental health at risk. And I can just imagine how many people in Ireland this day have had to clean up after losing a loved one, they're quiet. You don't hear from them. They don't speak out because they're suffering. Because not only, like, I don't know whether it's because I have had this inflicted twice in my life, two massive traumatic events that I want to make change. I do not want to see another person go through this and have to clean up after losing a loved one, not to grieve, not to feel normal emotions, but to be traumatised, get nightmares daily, uh, flashbacks to like what I have experienced is blood on my hands of my father on my shoes, trying to wash it off when I get home. That should not have to happen. No person 
should ever have to deal with this to live with that and to live with the aftermath of that. It can be prevented and it should have been prevented and it should be prevented in the future. Virginia can now move on through the grieving process. While her memories are strong, she regrets that she cannot find any video recordings of Jasper. But then again, she always has Tommy, Jasper's African grey parrot. He does an excellent imitation of Jasper, apparently. I ask to see him and Virginia brings him out to see if he'll talk for me. Tommy wasn't in the mood to cooperate that day, but a few days later, Virginia sent me this recording where you can just about make out Tommy mimicking Jasper calling for Gina and his coffee. Echoes of Jasper still remain. He survived agonising loss and still went on to spread joy to others. He lived an extraordinary life. He was not destined to die an ordinary death. And he deserved his own story. But it's also Virginia's story, one she's never publicly spoken about before now. We tell the stories of our past to change the future. That starts now. He was one of a kind, like anyone who spoke to him, they were like, you know... They couldn't like to know, did he actually really say that? To know, did that really actually happen? Yeah, it did. And he changed a lot of people's views on things. And, you know, but for a man who was like that, he was still so hurt inside. You know, he was so, so hurt inside. And to go on and still wear me by himself was unbelievable in that stage. For the abuse he suffered in Hymne at them times to still get through that is unbelievable. Like, I've been told there's a book in you. And, you know, maybe it's something I'd like to do is to write a book about, like, just the experiences we've been through and things we've done together and stuff. And kind of also about mental health, very big advocate for mental health. And that's something I want to really, really, really raise awareness of. I think it means a lot. And like all my friends now, they've been through us with a tick and thin growing up. Like, you know, there was some hard times. I'm not going to say it was all la-di-da, which it wasn't. Like, you know, there was tough times, tough, tough times, but we got through it. You've been listening to Death by Rooster, The Extraordinary Life and Death of Jasper Krauss, an Irish Examiner investigative podcast. The show was written, researched and recorded by me, Sarika Crowley, produced by Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, with sound design by JJ Vernon. Graphics were done by the Irish Examiner visual design team. A special thanks to Virginia Guinan for her help with this series. Read the story on irishexaminer.com. If you've been affected by any of the subjects in this podcast, visit irishexaminer.com forward slash helplines for a list of support services and helplines. Thank you for listening.